0: Thank you, folks. Thank you, precious folks. Um, can I tell, Nick, can I tell them the, the story you told me right after service this morning? Uh, many of you were here, and I uh, told you a true story. Like one guy said, I'm not preaching right now, I'm telling the truth. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, I, I, a true story about when I was a young preacher, my first pastorate back in Virginia, back in the 1980s, and... And I told you the story about I went riding down the road to a hospital visit one day and Squire Parsons coming on the uh, our radio. And uh, for the first time in my life, I heard he came to me uh, and what it meant to me to hear that song because it just depicted everything in my life, how Jesus came to me and saved me one day and just changed my life. And I literally pulled over the side of the road and, and wept as I listened to that entire song. And Nick, as I circled around this morning he he said, "Brother ken, what what God did in my life this morning, what a blessing. He says, "I was playing the piano on that recording. and uh, <laughs> uh, uh, boy, how God sews us together, right? Sows our lives together. If you have your Bible, I'm in First Peter tonight. I'm going to begin reading." In verse six, and it just kind of may seem a little choppy as I read through there because I'm I'm preaching verse by verse, and I hope you do remember uh, <clears throat> that a few a couple of weeks ago I began a series of preaching verse by verse through the book of First Peter, this great book of hope about real life, real faith, real hope, uh, and uh, this is where we've landed tonight. And I hope you'll remember that as we go through it this evening, because. This is what God planned quite a while ago for us to be in and uh, what to preach on this evening. And uh, uh, up to this point, Peter's been talking about this theme of hope. And he says, if you want to stir up your hope, think, think about the... Think about the living hope we have because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Think of the hope we have because of heaven. Think about the hope we have because of God's constant help and abiding with us. Uh, He's talking about all these things. And then he comes to verse 6. Let's stand and look at it together. Verses 6 through 9. He comes to verse 6 right on the heels of talking about How we we are kept by the power of God. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? We are kept. God's keeping us and holding on to us by his power, the salvation we have. Then in verse 6, he says this. He kind of makes a shift of gears. Uh, Not that he's not still talking about hope, but watch what happens. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though. Now that's the big word in tonight's text. Though, you know, we have this hope, we have heaven, we're kept by the power of God, we have a living hope within uh, because of our faith in Jesus Christ. He says, but in the midst of it, though, for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations or trials or difficulties or struggles. Verse 7, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to come back to that in a few moments, but something you need to take hold of in that verse, it's talking about our praise. Our glory, our honor, and that Jesus has all those too. But isn't that what He said? Be found into praise and honor and glory at the appearing. Says this is something that belongs to us, our faith. Then verse eight: Whom having not seen, I love. These two next two verses: Having not seen, you love. In whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. You you could properly insert, and it's not moving too far at all. You're not really adding to Scripture. You could say even the the total salvation of your souls. Total salvation. Pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you, Um, for all that you mean to us. Thank you for your grace and your love and provision. Thank you for these precious folks that believed it important to go out and spend a little while in worship, in the Word, with Christian people. Go to church on Sunday evening. Father, may I never be a disappointment to them. We know you'll never be a disappointment. We know the word will never be a disappointment. Uh, May we not disappoint one another. Um, Make us encouragers and make me father the preacher and encourager of the word that that I should be. Uh, Guide us through this passage. Um, I want to be so honest with it, so sure with it, and uh, encouraging to the people. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. You may be seated. Now, I don't know uh, who you folks buy your cars and trucks from. Uh, I'm not even really sure who I buy mine from. Uh, Sometimes it's just the cheapest. But I don't know who the biggest dealer is in town where most people go and shop. But let me ask you, let me set before you this scenario. You go in to buy that truck, you go in to buy that car. Um, And this car, truck, you're, by the way, if you're like me, you're not on the new lot, all right? You're on the, what is the, it's the they don't use the word used cars anymore. What's, what do they call them? Pre-owned. Uh, We've got to change all those words. Uh, I'm on the pre-owned lot. Uh, and I spot one I like. And I call the salesman over says, you know, I'd really like to check this out. I'd li- i I want to tr- check this twenty five hundred Silverado with these running boards and uh, flashy paint. I want to check it out. It says, and uh, uh, can we run it down the road? Can I can I drive it? it said, oh no. It says, you 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 can look at it. You can look in it, uh, but but we can't drive it. You you can't test drive it. it says. I can't test drive it. He says, oh no, we have a distinct policy. We don't test drive any vehicles here. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm going to get downright suspicious because I'm convinced if you can't test it, you can't trust it. If you can't test it, You can't trust it. Did you know, in essence, that's the message of Peter in this passage about your faith? About your faith in Jesus Christ. If it can't be tested, it can't be trusted. You thought you get saved, you put your faith in Jesus. Now, it's easy street it's a bed of roses. But you cannot miss in the New Testament the message of faith is if it can't be tested, it can't be trusted. That's the truth. Now, I told you that 1 Peter is a book about real life. I, again, I just love it because I mean it's kind of like James. You know, James is the nitty-gritty. I mean, reality, day-to-day living. First Peter is a lot like that. They're kind of close in the Bible. You know, the Holy Spirit must have done it that way. Uh, it's, it's about real life, real life. It's about living. and it's, it's about a real faith and a real hope for living in what? A real world. The lives we live day in and day out. Peter has opened up by encouraging us to learn to look up. Look at heaven. Look at what's to come. And look ahead and, to, and look ahead of all our present circumstances. But now, now he encourages us to look around and come to grips with the fact that there is trouble in this world. There's trouble and it belongs to us. But these troubles and trials don't have to. To be detrimental to our faith. But, contrarywise, they can be instrumental in revealing our faith and, watch this, and even strengthening our faith. That's what he's telling us. So, we're going to take tonight a very realistic look at faith in the midst of trials. Hard times, difficulties, challenges, trials. Has your faith ever been tried? Today, has your faith been tried? If you had a struggle, a heartache, a difficulty, that you just wondered if you'd be able to press through, Remember this. Faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. Let me break it out this way. Are you ready for this? I see in this passage that Peter wants to communicate to us that trials in the Christian's life are guaranteed do you like having guarantees? Can I tell you something? I know for sure you're going to have trouble in this world. You're going to have trials. You're going to have difficulties. I don't have to speculate at all. I don't have to. And it's not because I have a crystal ball. I got a Bible. And you know what else I got? I got my own. I got my own story. By the way, I got to pause. Pause, Ken. This is a pause. In the, write, write in your notes right now. Pause. That song about somebody's praying for me and I I, I can feel it. Um I lo- I love when songs just flat out tell the truth and and just come right home. Uh when I was going through I guess today Diane and I would say probably some of the most difficult times of my life when I had my emergency heart surgery and and I was laying up at Vanderbilt uh and uh for weeks and weeks and weeks and uh <clears throat> but um uh, uh, I came home and I told, I confessed to my congregation, to my church folks, to my church family, uh, I had the incredible sense of knowing people were praying for me. Have you ever been there? As I had my own prayers, as I lay there in that bed um, and recovering, and I don't even remember a whole lot of pain and things like that. I just wanted to to get out of there, and I hate their food, by the way, Uh, Van Riff Hospital. But uh, uh, I'm sorry, that was wonderful care, terrible food, all right. Uh, but I, but I, I had this, I, I can't say it any other way, but that, that I felt the prayers of God's people. God, God the Holy Spirit communicated to me the, the awesome intercessory prayer of people. You didn't have to call me and tell me. You didn't have to send me a card. The Holy Ghost told me that people were praying for me. It's the truth. Pray for people. Pray for people. And God, especially, and obviously Christian people, they'll have a sense of it. But I, my first point was that trials for Christians are guaranteed. In verse 6, he says, Wherein you greatly rejoice though now foresees, and if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Heaviness of temptations. Heaviness of heartache. He says, if need be, whatever your hope and your faith and your trust in God are, if need be, you are going to suffer grief in this world. It's going to happen. It's guaranteed. Sometimes... We have trials and struggles because it's just discipline. Uh, God spanks his children. Did you know that? I'm not going to get on the other end about corporal punishment, whether that's right or wrong, but I'm telling you, God, he does. He spanks his children. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, you you know that passage of scripture, chapter 12, he says, it says, in chapter 12 of Hebrews, verse 11. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. God means to bring peace and righteousness to our lives, and sometimes He has to discipline us. In other words, God purifies our life on occasion through pain. Did you know that? Did you know, did you know that? You thought all pain was of the devil. But by the way, I have to pause here. Please do not interpret every difficulty, every pain, every sickness, everything that goes wrong with our body as God disciplining you. You are you listening to me? That's the other extreme. Did I did I say this before, maybe in a message? Here, I, you know, I. You know, I'm getting old in six weeks. That's an eternity that I've been here. And I'm forgetting things I said. But you need to understand something. If God disciplines you with a trial, a struggle, a pain, he's not going to do it and not let you know he's disciplining you. How good of a mama and daddy are you? Would you ground your children, discipline your children, come down hard on your children, and look at them and say, but I'm not going to tell you what it's about. You're grounded for them up. Nah, 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 nah. But I'm not going to tell you why. Of course, they're going to apply at somebody else's house. You come down with something. You don't do that, do you? If you discipline the, your children, they know exactly why it's coming down, right? And if God disciplines his children, you'll know exactly why it's coming down. Say amen. amen. It's the truth. Sometimes those struggles, those trials are just discipline. Sometimes they are preparation. Uh, I'm not going back and read it right now. You can go back and read it. Where, you know where Jesus told Peter, says, Satan wants to take you and sift you like wheat. But uh, isn't this precious? But Jesus said, I, but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. Now, he, he, he failed the trial. He did something real dumb. I can't even imagine denying the Lord to a little girl that's challenging me, but he did. But J- Jesus said, But I'm going to pray for you that your faith fail not. What you really got inside, what you got down deep inside, your relationship with me, it's not going to fail. It says, Not only that, I pray that when you come back, you're going to strengthen your brothers. Amen. Remember, folks, Amen. he failed on the night before Jesus died. He failed on the night before Jesus died. But after Jesus came back from the dead, spent his several weeks here on this earth, encouraged and taught his disciples, and then sent to to Jerusalem in what we call the upper room. And after they prayed for those days, and on the day of Pentecost... This guy preached and 3,000 people were saved in one day. God was preparing him. Preparing him. Can you, can you take that in? By the way, folks, this isn't a sissy sermon tonight. This is the hard stuff. This is the hard stuff. Can you bury it in your soul that sometime God may bring a trial He may may bring a difficulty. He may bring pain to my life, but all the while he's preparing me to preach that sermon on the day of Pentecost to impact lives for Jesus Christ. And that's that's the truth. Sometimes it's needed. If need be, remember that's what he said? If need be, sometimes that need is preparation. Sometimes that need is prevention. Once again, I, uh, you know, I, I preached so long this morning. I'm I'm kind of editing tonight, so I'm not going to go over go over and read 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. You but let me tell you, most of you know that story. It's where Paul's talking about being caught up into the third heaven and receiving so many revelations, and he got so close to God, so close close to glorious truth that God allowed Satan to put a thorn in his flesh. You remember that? And whatever that was, you could speculate all day long on what that was, but it was pain. Paul prayed and prayed for it to go away. He wasn't happy about it at all. He wasn't happy about it at all, but God clearly told him, I'm giving you this because I want to save you from the sin of pride. From becoming conceited. Um you know um, i you know i 'm not God, I surely am not in your life, but you know i don 't know what God would put you through i don 't know what God would deny you because he is so concerned about keeping you from becoming less than you ought to be for Jesus. I mentioned a few weeks ago I know that I had a staff member one time said he knew God never let him be rich because he couldn't trust him with money. You know, that, that may be very true with you. you. Don't you read about all these uh, wackos that win the lottery? God delivers from that in itself, but they, they win the lottery uh, millions and millions of, and it's all gone in just a couple of years. I mean, I often think about it. My daddy didn't have a million dollars in his entire lifetime. I mean, he didn't have half a million dollars in his entire lifetime. But, and yet, we got along, always food on the table, a car to drive, a roof over our heads. Some people can't be trusted with many. Amen? I don't know what God can't trust me with. I really don't know sometimes. Um, he obviously can't trust me with good looks, right? My, uh, but um, um, but what, is there anything that maybe God denies you? He puts a thorn in your flesh, a thorn in your life, allows Satan to put one there because he wants to keep you from being less than you should be for Jesus. It's just the truth. Sometimes pain, difficulties, trials are just about prevention. So, trials are guaranteed, folks. You're going to have them. Now, secondly, Peter tells us trials can be great. And I don't mean great whoopee, I mean great. Severe to a degree. They can be great. Sometimes they're great in number. Um, he talks about manifold temptations, which means various great numbers of temptations. Tons of them. All kinds of them. In all kinds of ways. Um, I... Uh, I don't know if God has given me the gift of mercy or understanding to the point that I ought to have it even as a pastor. But I tell you, some people just have a lot of struggles, don't they? Some people have a lot of heartache. They have a lot of difficulty. Some people have a lot of sickness. And and it's not because they're hypochondriac. They're really sick. And it seems to come over them over and over again. Some people uh, have a spouse that makes their life really difficult, don't they? You, you know some people like that? You know, they, they said John Wesley had a nagging, hagging wife. They just beat him up. Did you know that? Oh, John. That's the reason he became a Methodist. He left the Baptist church. Uh, 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 just, just made his life miserable. Um. It's, and some people have great numbers of trials. You know, and it's important to know you may become one of those. But in the midst of that, don't let Satan ever deceive you and make you think, oh, you're, you're unique. You, you deserve to be pitiful because you're a great number of trials. Uh, and you have extraordinary number of trials. It'll be okay if you kind of let up on your faith, if you kind of let down on your walk with Jesus. I tell you, there is no temptation which is common to man that God does not provide a way of escape. I'm telling you, you don't ever have an excuse to let up on your walk with Jesus. You know, and I know, I, I, I want to sympathize. I want to even empathize. I, I tell you, I don't pray, God, help me have some more trials so I can understand this person. But folks, don't do that. Be satisfied with the heartache you already got. But some people have great trials in number. And then some people have great trials in degree, he uses the word heaviness. Heaviness. Do you see that in verse 6? Heaviness through these many trials. They suffer great, great trials in degree. You know, I've known people, saved people, that have what we used to call a besetting sin. You, you remember that word? And I'm not talking about that they live in sin. I'm talking about they live with the constant temptation of that sin. A lot of times it's out of their past. It's like a drunk still got that taste for liquor. And I I know the Holy Ghost can take it away. All right? I know he can. I know he can. I I stand before you. I know he can. But uh, a besetting sin. Just deal with the same sin over and over again. Weep over it. Struggle over it. Come down the aisle and pray over it. Go to the pastor over it. Why does it keep coming back on me? I don't know. I don't know why that happens. But I've seen it happen. It's grief. It's a trial. Sometimes, as I said, great physical illness. I tell you, one of the greatest trials in the world is the loss of a loved one or a child. And it's it's hard. It's hard some catastrophic event in your life. Now, I want to say something. This is not planned. It was part of my sermon, and I want you to hear me. Sometimes our greatest trials, our most serious trials, come from just people. And a lot of times from good people. Like your family. And like your church. It's, it's just the truth. I have said it so many times in my life uh, that there's probably not any greater heartache for the Christian than church heartache. You know, it's like, it's worse than a divorce. It's worse than financial collapse. It's where you have your trust, your confidence, the people that look the most like Jesus to you. And I, hey, I would be wrong to scratch this from my sermon tonight. But just tell you, it's, those can be trials. And I'm still convinced some of the greatest heartache is church heartache. When people get hurt at church, they really get hurt. Amen? They get hurt. But God knows about these trials. These trials are great for Christians. And Peter makes sure, before I leave this point of greatness, to say they can be such a great value to your life. Did you read that? He said that the trial of of your faith being much more precious than gold. Do you ever think about that? God, this burden, this heartache, this difficulty, this trial, this pain, this is better than gold. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I did. I, God had to keep me in this verse. But that's what he says. The trial of your faith being much more precious then gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. That's how our faith is going to appear before Jesus one day. Gold has long been considered the most valuable commodity and can be considered the standard by which we value everything else and how everything else is measured. Anything that is valuable is worth testing. Amen? It's worth testing to prove it's real. I, once again, I'm not going to go back and read it. How many of you know the parable of the sower? Found in a couple of the Gospels, three of the Gospels, found in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus talked about the parable of the sower and sowing out, throwing out the, the seed and whatnot and said, uh. And some of the seed that lands on the rock, the, the birds come and take it away. You, you remember all that? And, it, and he talks about some seed uh, coming up for just a little bit. Uh, and then the sun comes in it scorches it and it dies back. Uh, and he talks about some seed coming up and it comes up among other things and it's choked out by the weeds. But both of those illustrations are what? It's showing that, that faith under fire failed. But he said, there's some that the seed is sown and their faith becomes fruitful. It's fruitful, it produces. See, he's saying, uh, you want your faith under fire, your faith being tried, is just proving it's real. It's going to be fruitful. It is so much there in talking about gold, purging gold uh, of its impurities. It proves the value of your faith. You know, I have a revolutionary idea. And I'm going to tell you, folks, this isn't sissy gospel tonight. I told you this wasn't sissy stuff. This is hard stuff. Um, And I'm not saying I do this all the time. But I have some ideas to share with you the next time you face some of your greatest trials. Instead of saying, why me, Lord? Say this, you know, I've been expecting this. Because I'm a Christian. And I live in this world. And I'm a person of faith. And I know if my faith can't be tested, it can't be trusted. You, You think we could ever get there? I've been expecting this. Not this has knocked me off my feet. I've been expecting this. Instead of saying, this is too much, maybe say, you know, here's my chance to really show what I'm made of. Here's my chance. Instead of, why, God, have you let this terrible thing happen to me, say, what great thing are you about to teach me? It ain't ain't easy, is it? You can say amen to that. It's, 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 it don't even seem realistic. But it is real. It's real hope, real faith. In a real world with real trials. Amen? My last point. Trials of all things. Watch this. (laughs) Peter says trials for the Christian are glory. They're glorious. They're glorious. Having not seen, ye love. In whom, though you see him not, yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. And back up in verse 7, that you might be found the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. He's not talking about Jesus' praise, honor, and glory. He's talking about your praise, glory, and honor. What your faith is going to look like when Jesus eventually reveals you glorified before him in heaven. I'm not talking about what we look like right now. We don't look too good right now. Say amen. Amen. But when he reveals us, when he's revealed and he reveals us, when we are glorified, well, I tell you what, we don't even know, we can't even begin to approach glorified, can we? Adrian Rogers, one time, preaching, he says, you know, I grew up in Florida. He says, where I grew up, there were no trains. He said, uh, he said, uh, well, and one day is, a young man, I went and watched The Greatest Show on Earth by Cecil B. DeMille. And that whole movie is built around the great train wreck uh, of, the, of the Ringley Brothers, Barnum and Bailey Circus. You, those of you, some of you are looking, oh, uh, Cecil B. DeMille, uh, Circus. Uh, some of you, are at least close to my age, don't you know what I'm talking about. He said, but he, he went to see that movie and saw that colossal train wreck. He said, that was really the first train he'd ever seen that looked real, you know, on the screen and whatnot, because he'd never seen any trains. He says, and so for me, the first train I saw was a train wreck. But he went on to say, folks, do you realize when we look around, we don't see the glorious creation of God that he had in the beginning when he made us in his image. We don't see men and women. We see men wrecked. That's the best we can see right now. We're all a train wreck. Yep. But one day, he's going to glorify us. Glorify us. But you know, there is a present glory. And he talks about that. He talks about, he talks about a present glory. He said, Whom you have not seen, ye love... I tell you, as we walk through our trials and struggles and we maintain our faith and increase in our hope in Jesus Christ, our love for Jesus grows. I'm telling you, people who live through their trials and maintain their faith love Jesus about as much as anybody I know in church life. People, have you not ever been around them? Have you been to hospitals and nursing homes or other people? People that have so many trials, they just love Jesus. They love the Lord Jesus Christ. On the walls of an insane asylum, literally a prison, a man penned this The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. An old Nazarene songwriter Lehman was his last name. Somebody's going to tell me his first name later on. Took those words and he added to it, a course, and some other verses. But he wrote this, O oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forever endure the saints and angels song. Folks, I'm telling you, it's not the easy road that's made me love Jesus so much in this life. It's him walking down those hard roads with me that makes me realize just how much, oh, how I love Jesus. None love Jesus better than those who have faced their fiery trials. It brings to us a glorious faith. He He said, in whom though now you see him not yet believing... It seems to me that folks that go through trials, there's none that trust Him more, those, those who walk faithfully through their trials. There's glorious joy, joy unspeakable and full of glory. I tell you, they're the people that know how to sing and to rejoice. And what's really special is the glorious likeness to Jesus that I've already read about. In verse 9 it says receiving the end of your faith even the salvation of your souls and I told you to add the total salvation of your souls to one day we're going to be glorified body soul and spirit. Glory. Glory. You know up in the very first verse I read Peter said wherein you greatly rejoice though now for a season. You know, all trials and struggles, they're for a season. I know some people seem like they go through them all their life, but the, I'm glad that old King James used that word, a season, because don't we know how seasons change? Now, you'd think we'd be having a lot of cold and snow. We've been having a lot of rain. Um, but some of us will go through a hard winter. But you know, we know spring's coming. We may go through that hot, sweltering summer, but you know, fall's coming. It's for a season. You know, and see, the church that Peter wrote to, they had a strong sense in their soul of the second coming of Jesus Christ. We we seem to just go through phases in it, you know, in Christianity. Um, you know, I, I tell you, my Lord's coming again. Amen. And I'm convinced that this world is showing it more and more and more. Yep. You know, but n- no matter what the present state of this world or my present sec- circumstances, Almighty God, the all-knowing, the all-powerful, remains in control and not only is he in control, even it's, it's been over 2,000 years. I'm telling you, my God is moving this world to, toward a grand climax when Jesus Christ is going to return to this earth, rule right here for 1,000 years, and those that know him are going to sit on thrones with him and rule in this world. What does that do to you when you think about it? Your trials—they're only for a season, and I tell you, folks, spring's coming. Um, I want to close with that verse seven again. He said that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes though it be tried with fire, might be found. Under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. I want to emphasize over and over you again. He's talking about our faith appearing, Jesus revealing our faith, that our faith, what we lived through, what we bore up, uh, how we endured the pain, the difficulties and trials, while we maintained our faith, maintained our hope and lived in this world for Jesus Christ. One day he's going to reveal those things. And that's going to be, we talk about casting our crowns at his feet. That's biblical too. We don't deserve any rewards or whatnot to cast them at the feet of Jesus. But I tell, you, I tell you what the real treasure, the real reward is going to be when we get to glory. Is him having us before him totally glorified because of what he did on the cross. And it's going to be our gift to him. Praise, honor, and glory. Here's our gift. I was talking to Diana. I said, "I'm trying to remember everything about that song." Said, so "This is real theological." Um, the little drummer boy. Y- y- y'all know, remember that song? You know the song. It's a, and it's good. It's good. Uh, and uh, and he says, "I have no gift to bring, but rumpa bum bum." Uh, that's all the bum-bums I'm going to do. Um, but it seems to me obvious in the song, he's, kind of, he's alluding to uh, the finest gifts they bring. He must be alluding to the, uh, the three wise men, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, because I don't know that shepherds brought any gifts that night. Um, and, um, but he, they, the finest gifts they brought. He says, but I don't have, he says, but, but, but you know I can play my drum. This is who I am. This is what I do. And I strive to do it well. Jesus, this is who I am. This is what the world did to me in so many ways, but more so it's what you did to me. Here's my faith, my hope, my glory. I'm here because of you. It says, and I don't have any real crowns or gifts to bring, but I'm going to once again, just give my life to you. Here it is. Yeah. Through all the trials, through all the heartaches, I belong to you. Folks, faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. But those that live through the trials, the heartache and pain, are one day going to stand before Jesus and give him the greatest gifts in all eternity. I want to be there.